Welcome back, friends, to the Table Church podcast. Uh, here we are on this icy, blustery November morning. I'm feeling the icy part. Mm-hmm. Is it maybe blustery is not the best description? It's not yeah, very windy. Cause I don't. I don't have a garage. Blustery um, would suggest windy, wouldn't it? It is blustery though, and the snow is falling out of the trees. Okay. Occasionally, has been a problem. It's a but little bluster for November. We don't, yeah, we don't have a garage to mm. cover our cars. I mean, you have a garage, but it's it's a garage that was built in like the 30s mm-hmm. to hold like a buggy. <laughs> <laughs> it's a not carriage. big enough for a car. It held a carriage. Um, yeah, it's a carriage house. But anyway, <laughs> so we have uh, how many cars do we have? Five cars, and they're all lined up on our driveway, and none of them are in a garage, so they're all just like covered in ice. You guys have a fleet. We do have a fleet. Um, in the in the Catan game of Des Moines life, we are a force to be reckoned <laughs> with. But anyway, so our cars are always just covered with stuff when it snows and we got quite a bit of like a wet snow before it mm. froze over and stuff like that. So anyway, cars are covered in ice. Yeah. And All I know is that my, getting getting to school was rough. Yeah. It was slippery. Slippery on the side streets, things like that. But my kids all took, I had two ice scrapers in my van and my kids, I found out this morning, had taken both of my extra scrapers mm. because they are nicer. So they had their own scrapers. <laughs> they they had just wanted better ones, scrapers. But I had like the big one with like the broomy thing on it uh-huh. and things like that. So anyway, they got my scrapers and I realized this morning that I do not have any scrapers in my car mm. and everyone else was gone and we have one car left behind at home and its doors were frozen shut. So that's useless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Man, taking your scraper. That's so. Uh, I sat in my driveway for like thirty-five minutes this morning, just defrosting, the wow. old-fashioned way. Wow. Because there was some ice on my car. It was icy. Hmm. So, oh, you had a rough morning. Sounds like. You know, I. Uh, also, find the joy in the process. I think your kids owe you scraping of your car windows for a few days. That would just they're. That is like more management work than I want to invest. Running off with your scraper. They, I, I mean, don't think they saw it that way <laughs> at the time. <laughs> oh, you but know that's how sometimes uh, like something like that, you're like, you know, the cost of what it would take to manage that into existence is oh, almost 100%. not worth. <laughs> that's what parenting is. It's this like negotiation inside yourself of like, uh, I should probably parent them about this. But is it worth it? Yeah. It's just <laughs> in the, you know. Perhaps just saying, hey, guys, I had to sit in my driveway because I didn't have a scraper. Maybe think about that next Even time. Even that, they think parents whine and complain too much <laughs> as it is. I don't know that I would. I think I would pick my battle for something uh, stronger. But okay, <laughs> well, it's icy outside today. You, I know, will make um, whatever decision is best. Have you been watching Andor? No. No. So I've um I have not. Let's see here. I've watched one episode of television in probably the last six weeks, mm-hmm. and that was one episode of The Crown. Mm-hmm. The old season. No, the new the season. The new one. We watched the first episode of the new season, but the last prior to that last TV show I watched was, uh, the the ring, the Lord of the Rings on mm-hmm. Amazon, whatever. Whenever the the last episode of that came out, that was the last TV show I watched other than The Crown. Mm-hmm. The one time. 
I have not been watching much TV. Yeah, I I have all these friends that have watched Andor, and I tried to watch an episode last week. Oh, yeah? For the second time, actually, because I had walked in on the first episode that my son was watching when it was brand new. Mm-hmm. And then I tried to do it on my own, and I just cannot. You can't? Yeah. What, People are raving about this show. Huh. I just found it so boring. I, I need to watch it. I do it. see why. I do see why people like it. I just can't get excited about it. Did you like The Mandalorian? Um, Did it you was watch also the fine. Mandalorian? Okay, it was fine. I didn't watch all of it. I watched probably three episodes. Yeah. In and out. So I feel so. like these these made for TV things that the Marvel and um and Star Wars that we're seeing here, uh they've kind of figured out a formula that I'm not sure I like. So when they first started doing it, like mm-hmm. when Mandalorian and um, like uh, WandaVision, mm-hmm. you know, it was, wow, like this stuff's really good. WandaVision was excellent. Yeah. Mandalorian was really good too. I mean, it's like something that's like, I understand that it's mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. Right. You know? but, but like, I don't need to watch it again. But not having watched Andor, but having watched some more recent Marvel ones that which were horrible, I'm just like, okay, they are stretching this plot out until the last episode for anything to happen. Mm-hmm. They're just trying to keep us watching it it's forever. It's about the journey, not the yeah. destination. Yeah. People just want to be in. I think that makes sense. So people want to be in the world more. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt that way about Obi Wan a little bit. Obi Wan was decent. I, thought. I even forgot about that one. But I forgot about that. I one. did feel like they're just moving so slowly, and everything just happened. Like, like the last episode mm-hmm. was awesome. You mm-hmm. know, <laughs> I think it's just for people who want to sit in the world. And it's to cater to fans who like different aspects of it. Like I can completely see with Andor, like it's the reason that Rogue One is a really good movie, like mm-hmm. that. And and it's that same vibe of no space wizards mm-hmm. and laser swords so much as like just people, yeah. actual people, like working it out. The plebs, you know, because you've got you've got the movies are always about like the people at the top. Mm-hmm fighting it out as if they've now saved the world because one person on one side won a fight. Now suddenly the world shifts, but really it doesn't. Universe, yeah. It's just a, yes, the <laughs> universe. But really there's a bunch of people like getting to work and stuff like that right. and are not aware of these things and that empire isn't going to shift mm-hmm. overnight. So I like the idea of exploring that world more on the ground. I think that's cool. Mm-hmm. But I also am just like, I don't know what it is that other people see because I'm trying with this mm-hmm. and I just, it's not like the spark is not there. Right. Did you, you know? watch the rings of power? I did. I felt the same way about that. You did. I understand that it's good. Mm-hmm. I understand why people love it so much. I personally am like, okay, just doesn't whatever. speak to you. Like there is an episode of rings of power that after the episode aired, people just lost their minds. And mm-hmm. I watched it, and I had been watching it up to that point. I watched the episode, and I was like, okay. <laughs> I, I really know. enjoyed Rings it's of Power. It's just not like I, yeah. that spark is not there. I really enjoyed it. Obviously, um, you know, somebody with a deep nerd level knowledge of um, Tolkien's world is going to draw mm-hmm. I mean, more like, out I it. totally, I even see all that. Like, I understand all of that. It's just like, I'm like, eh, I don't know. I think maybe it takes a lot for me to get excited about TV. Okay. I don't know. I I liked The Rings of Power quite a bit. Um, I did, however, watch the entire fifth season of The Crown. Did you? Like, yeah, that's that's so that's your jam. That does it for you. I loved, Mm -hmm. I loved that. A lot of people are not loving this new season. Mm. 
but I want to point out a pattern that no one loves the new seasons. Like ever since they shifted from the first two seasons into changing the actors, mm-hmm. people every time there's a new season have this reaction of like, oh no, no, it's not as good. Well, you and fall in love with the actors, it. yeah, you know, and then they they're not, they take them away. Mm-hmm. But I, I've only watched one episode of it and I thought it was really good. Yeah, this na- this latest season, I've heard a lot of complaints, critiques, you know, commentary on it. Mm-hmm. so far and i will say i personally thought it was a refreshing balance i think there are people who wanted it to be more tabloid heavy mm-hmm. like more salacious i like the balance that they found and i think it's true to the nature of the show you know mm-hmm. they have some rules in the crown um you know like they're never going to show a royal in a compromising situation yeah they'll show other people in compromising situations okay. but i mean like racy compromising situations and they followed that rule throughout this season which if you remember the 90s yeah they didn't follow it (laughs) so i thought that it was i thought it was like brilliant writing i really love what they did with it i thought five out of five okay yeah so the crown works for megan (laughs) but i i am star wars shows not so much i understand they're great i can see that they're great they're just not my thing. Yeah. You know? That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Is anything universally great? No. No. Like to everyone? I don't know. Dumb and Dumber. Do you like that? I feel like that's pretty universal. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> maybe we all just I mean, think it is. of course I do, but I haven't seen it for 20 years, so okay. I, I would rather not co-sign. All right. <laughs> all right. Um, so we should have started with this, but here we are. So last week we met, or last two weeks ago on, on the episode, we mentioned a uh, survey. We'd love to hear from you all. Just things that, you know, you'd like to hear more of. What do you like about the podcast? How can we do this better for you? Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you go to the show notes, you'll find the link to this form. It'll take you what? A minute? Maybe two a minutes? Minute. Mm-hmm. It does not take much of your time. We value your time and don't want much of it. Mm-hmm. But it will be an incommensurate help to us compared to the amount of time it'll take. Like a disproportional amount of help for us compared to a very small amount of time from you. Another way to put it is you can put in one minute of investment that gives us dividends, like significant help. <laughs> um, and you know, we, Phil and I have noticed there's a trend on this show that we do a lot of the talking. <laughs> what? And so we would love to hear from you to hear what you like about the show, what you think could be better, suggestions that you've got for topics that we can cover. Um, Your feedback into this machine outputs episodes you like more Mm -hmm. or more episodes of the stuff you like. And we're so serious about it. We're willing to invest in this. So here's the deal. If you fill out this form sometime between now and Thanksgiving. Form sounds so unfriendly. What do you want to call it? It's a listener survey. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Listener survey sometime between now and what? Thanksgiving? The 23rd. 23rd. So if you, we're going to release this episode today, November 16th. Mm -hmm. And if you complete the listener survey, if you've already completed it, you're in. But if you complete the listener survey by the 23rd so just by midnight on thanksgiving i guess Mm -hmm. we'll go all the way through the 23rd if you submit a listener survey through the 23rd we will am i saying it or you we'll enter your name in a drawing for one of three copies of the book renovated 
by Jim Wilder and Dallas Willard. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's it's beautifully illustrated as, uh, in the tradition of Dallas Willard's other classics with fruit on the it's cover. It's got fruit. Mm-hmm. What are these? Some blueberries? Those are plums. <laughs> okay, plums, not blueberries. <laughs> looks like it looks like we got <laughs> some. Them. Some apples. What do you mean no. enormous? They're literally the size of well, that's a These that's a plums. big that's a big blueberry, I guess. Those are plums. <laughs> I mean, size All and ratio plums. and stuff is a little hard to tell <laughs> on the cover of the book. It's not like it's a real plum sitting in front of me. Now that you say it, though, it looks a lot Can like a plum. Can we stop talking about plums? Looks like a plum. <laughs> just stop. What are these? Are these apples? No, no, that's not. They're an just apple. non-ripe plums. Stop talking about plums. Move forward. I'm going to keep talking about plums now that I know how Podcasts much it bothers you. Podcasts are not a visual medium. Yeah. But there's fruit on the cover. It's a beautiful book. And we would like to <laughs> give out three copies. So go to the show notes. Click the link to fill out the listener survey. Take a minute to do that. It means so much to us. And we're going to give away three copies yep. of the book. Yep. Next week. So do it. So uh, we got a, I don't know, an article piqued our interest this week. And uh, it's in Christianity today. <laughs> I was, I would say, um, Phil, you and I talked about this lightly earlier. I subscribe to Christianity Today and have for a while. And mm-hmm. I really love Christianity Today. But to be honest, like the whole like sitting down and reading through a thing yeah. doesn't happen very often. Um, but I've been working on doing that more. Just cover to covering a whole magazine, you know, the magazine, issue. and then staying up to date with what's on the website because Christianity Today is just such a wealth of good stuff mm-hmm. coming out all the time that it's really hard to keep up with it. So, this is my service to you. I plucked yep. some of the things I read over the last week. Send them my way, you, and I'm going to share them with Send them the my listeners. Way. This article is called "More Americans Want Their Church to Share Their Politics." More Americans, mm-hmm. more than who or what, more than used to or more than Canadian American or Canadian more Christians. Like two more? How yeah. many more? Mm-hmm. We don't. The article doesn't tell us. It it, it is a confusing title. <laughs> it leads somewhere that I don't think the article necessarily supports. Right. So this article. But it's interesting. This is came out on November first. It's from Lifeway Research. It was uh, compiled by Aaron Earls. There we go. So let's talk about politics in the church, shall we? <laughs> Not really, but sort of. <laughs> uh, so We're talking about a thing without talking about a thing. Exactly. We're not going to talk about politics. We're going to talk about Christians thinking about politics. So it says, as churchgoers head to the ballot box for midterm elections, most expect the rest of their congregation to be voting the same way they do. So there they said most expect the rest most. of their congregation. Yeah. Most. Mm-hmm. But then it says half of U.S. Protestant churchgoers say they'd prefer to attend a church where people share their political views. And here's the most 55% believe that to be the case at their congregation already. So, so not staggering numbers, right. but divided by yeah. half and half. Yeah. Yeah. So half say that they prefer to attend such a church. 55% say they do attend such a church where people share their mm-hmm. political views. So let's just pause there for a second. Cause this, this article, what we're going to find the, the data it presents can be, interpreted in a lot of different ways and some some of which is interesting some of which is isn't like i don't i don't know i'm trying to decide how interesting i find it that half of christians prefer to go to a church that shares their political views mm-hmm. is that interesting 
I, I can't, mean, I can't decide. I think the entire article, what the numbers did for me as I was chewing on them, <laughs> was that um, what we feel is true sometimes speaks louder than what's actually true. And I think the idea that it's only half sometimes mm-hmm. is surprise would maybe surprise some people. Yes, I would know? say that. I, I think the the caricature is that like Christians are just this politically homogenous thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, according to this, you know, only half. Of- and I mean, if you think of, I listen to a lot of news from um, non-Christian sources naturally, and there is a perception from outside the church world that evangelicals in quotes or christians in mm-hmm. quotes are like one force moving in the political world mm-hmm. and have one set of beliefs or political leanings mm-hmm. but everybody knows that that's not actually true but from the outside it looks like christians all think this yeah <laughs> you know um especially evangelical christians people use that term all the time and they think that you know uh, grabs onto a certain set of, you know, political mm-hmm. aisles. But yeah. within the church, it's really clear that Christians don't feel like all Christians share, know, their, share same their same viewpoints. Mm-hmm. I think I think within the church, we're aware of the fact that that's not true. But it's interesting that out in the world, I think there's, you know, a strong perception that we're all the same. We people think we're more homogenous than we actually are. Yeah, is what this and would we suggest. don't think we're homogenous. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I'd agree with that, and including the fact that it's only fifty-five percent that actually do think their congregations are homogeneously, politically homogenous. Mm-hmm. Like only fifty-five percent. Yeah. Is lower than I would have guessed. Yeah, me too. Me too. Like, and it doesn't say that that means that they're in that congregation because they think right. everyone believes that. It's just that they're like, yeah, I'm pretty sure we probably vote the same. Mm-hmm. Probably, mm-hmm. you know. It's surprising that it's only 55%. Yeah. Like if I were to be mm-hmm. asked that question about table church, I'd be like, I'm pretty certain that we have a di- diversity of political views at table church. Yeah. Like I think I've noticed in the last year, especially we have such a like diverse and divergent, like mix of thoughts that mm-hmm. I don't think I could peg the right. general community about anything. I don't think I could either, which mm-hmm. I like <laughs> Yeah, because uh, why should our, you know, national politics, why? Yeah. It seems like if, if I require us to all agree politically, and I want us to all agree politically, um, then perhaps I'm I'm saying something about where I rank my politics compared to the kingdom of God. You know, mm-hmm. like if that's one of the criteria of a church that I attend, mm-hmm. um, and I put it up there w- with things like, you know, the gospel and mm-hmm. <laughs> then admission and stuff like that. That seems like a problem to me. I mean, yeah, maybe not all would agree, but later in the article, he mentions that data point that denominationally Methodists. 88% and restorationist movement, 80% churchgoers are more likely to say they want their congregations to have common political perspectives than Baptists, Presbyterian Reformed Lutherans, and those who attend non-denominational church, which we talked about the, this a bit before, but uh, it's interesting to me um, that they're pointing out that people have this like natural sense of why am I at this church? And there are different things that are going to get you there. And so for people who are attending a Lutheran church <laughs> or mm-hmm. a Presbyterian church, 
you know, um, Baptist, I think is a little too vague. I think Baptists don't even know what a Baptist is. Yeah. The word Baptist means yeah, nothing because there's so many <laughs> kinds of Baptists. It's like the word evangelical. Like what exactly are we talking but about? But for here? example, you could say Methodists, 88% of Methodist churchgoers are more likely to say they want their congregations to have a common political perspective compared to 47% of Presbyterian reformed or Lutherans, 38%. So that's significantly it's different. It's huge. Um, but you can see how people are coming to a church for a particular reason. Like if you're a Lutheran, you're going to a Lutheran church. Mm -hmm. Like there's this higher I'm thing. I'm a Lutheran. Yes. <laughs> and that's why you're there. So you yeah. have this unifying force that is not politics that's right. getting you there. It's the, some sort of ecclesia, ecclesiological identity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You identify with the denominations, you know then that's one of the, the biggest sources of your identification. Mm -hmm. Yeah. and But Methodists are not that way, you're saying? Yeah. Well, right now, okay. no. Because yeah. <laughs> um, they're 88%. 88%, 88 of Methodists want, to, want their congregation to have the same political perspective. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which has a lot to do with that, what's happening in the Methodist right. church right now. Yeah, they are um, splitting. Yes. And so, um, and so that's really interesting because you see how politics, I think... The world of politics isn't driving all of that that's happening in the Methodist church, but it tends to fall in certain categories, mm -hmm. I think, with what's happening. Um, so that's just really interesting, you know, this idea that, uh, you know, if you're, how, 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 how would I say this? The, uh, the mainliners, um, I wonder how much it benefits you to just say, I am a part of this community because there's something greater than what's happening right now in this moment that I mm -hmm. am attaching myself to mm -hmm. and how much simpler your life is in some ways because of that. I grew up Catholic, so I grew up in a community that people were going to attend our church no matter what is happening in the world. Yep. And there was some benefit to that, you know, mm -hmm. like things rise and fall and change. But it's not going to change that community was one thing. And when I look back on it, I was in a church with the same people for 18 years. And there weren't like people coming and going mm -hmm. there, you know, and there was a continuity to that that is really beautiful. Yeah. So, um, so one important thing to point out th that I found as well was that it turns out that evangelicals are, in fact, much less likely than non-evangelicals to want a church that is politically homogenous, politically mm -hmm. the same, mm -hmm. which is, I think, cuts against the, the common narrative of polit or evangelicals are these kind of narrow-minded, right-wingy, fundamentalist, you know. Mm -hmm. it, what, how NPR talks about evangelicals will infer. Yeah. Apparently, <laughs> evangelicals are actually more open to political diversity mm -hmm. than other Christians are, mm -hmm. which is fascinating. And it shows that this data... It's just a big soup, you know, mm -hmm. like things go in different directions, you know, yeah. uh, what people expect and then what people want, you know, are kind of different things. So. You know, I think I can answer my question about whether or not the 50% is interesting. Half of Protestant, U.S. Protestant churchgoers say they'd prefer to attend a church where people share their political views. I'm going to actually say I do find that discouraging, that half of Christians would say that my political views are so important that I have to go to a church 
that shares them mm-hmm. because I'm not, I'm not saying your political views aren't important, but compared to your citizenship in the kingdom of God, they are a distant second. And they are also not the same as your citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. Um, and so the politics of Jesus must take precedence over the politics of America, uh, hands down, 100% every time. And this stat, half of Christians saying they prefer to attend a church where people share their political views, uh, that makes me a little worried that it's not the case I'll, <laughs> as much as it maybe should be. <laughs> and again, I'm not saying that like politics don't matter, but I am, you know, I would say that in an ideal situation, we'd be able to reason about these things biblically mm-hmm. in a way where, you know, we can still worship next to each other. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, I mean, we were up and down so much because we started so um, near to the beginning of COVID. So it took us a two or three years now before I feel like we have some sort of forming identity Mm -hmm. as a church community. And I think this is the biggest thing that I notice in our community is that I truly can just look out and know there are people with a very wide range of thoughts about how to practically like implement their ideals in the world and things like that. But they're not upset about that. Everyone's aware of the fact that we're all very different in this community and they're there anyway for a different reason. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really cool. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think anyone in our church thinks that everyone at church thinks like they do. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really neat and special. Yeah. That's how I'd want it to be Mm -hmm. because I want, I want our, um, our commitment to the Lordship of Christ to be so much higher than our commitment to a political party or candidate. Um, that there would be just an infinite qualitative difference between them. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, I cut my mm-hmm. church planting teeth at a time of utter political chaos. <laughs> and I still walk with a limp because of it, I'd say, but definitely learned a lot. Mm-hmm. This is much harder than I think. Like, it would be easier if we had, um, you know, I mean, we're a church that people can't put us into particular theological boxes that they're used to from a distance they look at what we are and they can't figure out what we are Mm -hmm. um and you know i think that that kind of bleeds into everything that we do and so we tend to attract this much smaller thoughtful group of people you know um who are looking for something that is biblically sound and jesus centered but isn't quite so easily sorted right (laughs) and that's neat yeah i mean the question of how does christianity map onto partisan politics in america is not a nice tidy question i would i would agree all right well we have a we have a book to discuss in fact we're gonna wrap it up today it's the last renovated episode i very much enjoyed this one Mm mm-hmm We've done mm-hmm. book studies that I didn't enjoy. This one is not. Do you one want to name them, or are you just gonna leave no. them out there? You want to? <laughs> I mean, I don't know what you're talking about. I think they've all been amazing. Whatever. Don't uh, lie. Don't but lie. But this book, this book is incredible. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. been good. Um, I, and I think that the stuff that he's talking about is really important for Christians and churches to probably start coming around to like, why wouldn't we take advantage of the discoveries of brain science Mm -hmm. in terms of how we grow and transform and how our character is formed? Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't we do that? And that's what he's doing. I do want to mention quick as we're finishing up this book, if you've not looked in the show notes yet, um, if you haven't gone to the show notes to fill out the listener survey, 
yet, perhaps you haven't noticed, there's a bunch of links in the show mm-hmm. notes for these episodes on Renovated. And um, one of them is a video that I think is really helpful that gets to the bottom of all of the basic principles that he's talking about in this book. So if you think that you might not um, be a person who's going to pick up this book and read it cover to cover, but you want to kind of dive back into these topics straight from the horse's mouth and hear Jim Wilder talk about this stuff himself. Mm-hmm. Um, I included a link to a video that I use in a class I teach actually um, that really is, I picked this particular video because in one hour he essentially covers all of the basic principles of this book without having to buy the book. Cool. And so if you are a person who um, wants to dig back into this again and wants to listen to somebody who knows what they're talking about instead of us, but you don't think you're going to read it, watch the video. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here's a line that jumped out at me from the first page or so. It says, oh, this is chapter 10, by the way. We're going to mm-hmm. talk about chapter 10. About chapter 10. It says, we kill the church when we make Christianity about fulfilling a vision. Mm-hmm. We kill the church when we make Christianity about fulfilling a vision. Look, I'm going to be honest, kind of bristled at that sentence. I was like, well, hey, without vision, the people perish. Bible says it's it. It's in the Bible. So what do you do with that? Um, and he goes hard. Like mm-hmm. it says, I found it comical. I actually laughed out loud a few times when I was reading this the first time. When a church staff program or outreach is forced to do to service a vision, striving is about to begin. Joy and peace levels fall. Casualties of striving to fulfill the vision. Mm-hmm. So he is not about leading with vision. That's not <laughs> that's not his thing, apparently. But I think that we might want to qualify exactly what he's talking about here and try to figure it out. Because, yeah, we, uh, I remember when we did church called Tove. Um, that's what, not one of the regrettable books. No, that was a good one. That was a good book. Um, he, McKnight... The McKnights, no, McKnight and Behringer, they talk about um, vision creep or mission creep, I think. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what it is. But it, but it's basically where like the vision of the church takes all precedence, no matter who it has to steamroll, mm-hmm. you know? Like, yeah, and, and it just becomes The edges kind of, of the vision can become, over time, um, it can be weaponized unintentionally at first mm-hmm. um, to get things done that that strong forces want to get done and eventually the vision can kind of um get all of its nuances rubbed off until it's just like a big blunt object but like in in leadership circles (laughs) in the church like you are told like the vision is everything you know the vision is everything people can either get on board the vision or they or they don't have to but whatever the case like the vision is what you die for Mm -hmm. and he's saying nah that uh that's poisonous essentially Mm -hmm. what he says Mm -hmm. he's not saying it's not relevant he's He's just saying He's going to come around later and and say how to have vision in the proper sense. Yeah. It's not that you can't have vision. He's not saying just uh, follow Jesus and live like Acts 2. Mm -hmm. He's not saying that. He's just saying vision has a proper place. Yeah. Because that would be a vision. And we don't communicate very well. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's it's not possible to not have a vision. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is possible to, and he'll get into this, either over or under compensate. (laughs) Yes. For it. So basically here's what it comes down to. Actively practicing spontaneous loving attachment to our enemies will keep us on the right track. How do we do that? Well, we do it through what we've been talking about this whole time through um, uh, attachment to God, mutual mind with God, and attachment to our people, our mm-hmm. community. He's talking about the qualities of what, if you're going to put it like a shorthand, like you're, 
there's churches will often have a mission statement and some doctrinal statements and they have a vision statement. Often. Our, our vision is, well, we mission and vision are two different things. I'd say our mission is to invite people to the way of Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's the, your vision is that like, what are we going toward? And your mission statement is often like how you get there. Mm-hmm. So churches will kind of mix this up and things like that. But your vision is like, I don't know. Do you remember what Willow Creek's vision was? It was like no. reach the whole world with the gospel of, you know, or until whatever. I don't know. <laughs> um, those types of statements are more like a vision. Vision statement. is usually uh, measurable. That's usually what a vision is. Like we want to reach this entire neighborhood or something. You know what I mean? Or mm-hmm. we want. 10,000 will reach thousands of people for Christ. There's usually a number involved with vision, whereas mission is more qualitative. It seems like obviously we're, we need to brush up on our mission and vision, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, yeah, our mission at table church would be inviting people the way of Jesus. So, but what he's saying here is if you have like that big idea of what your church is doing, as the thing that you were chasing and the thing that you were doing and all of that, um, it gets very messy because in the living of that out, mm-hmm. um, there are a lot of things implied in that vision that are not bad, but are not necessarily going to get reached. And then pretty soon you're just reaching towards something, but you are not a person who's got arms long enough to grab it. <laughs> right. You haven't been formed so, in the kind of person that can do it? Yeah. So he's talking about like often like common things that churches do to to go after a vision is on the slow track where he talks about it's the stuff that like churches are doing and doing and doing to try to get to this goal. But it's on the slow track of learning where you don't start with attachment. You start with work. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is you move from, um, you know, like good intentions into just striving Like Mm -hmm. he talks a lot about like burnout for Jesus, you know, burnout for that vision because it's worth it. That kind of talk. Um, So he says striving is what we do when a good idea is not working well enough. So when Mm -hmm. a vision is a good idea, but everything we're doing to get there isn't working well enough to the standards that we didn't know we had, (laughs) we strive and then we burn out. So you used the phrase slow track. We should review quick. Mm -hmm. So our brain, according to Jim Wilder, has like two tracks, the slow track and the fast track. And the slow track is like the conscious thought and reason side Mm -hmm. of things. The fast track is all these things that happen below the level of consciousness, but that's actually where character is formed, Mm -hmm. is in the fast track. And so we build attachment to people and to God in the fast track of our brain through just, I mean, for example a baby attaches to its mother by being cared for hundreds of thousands of times over the course of its early life. Mm-hmm. Um, that builds attachment. Things like seeing someone smile at you builds attachment. And these are things that you're not consciously thinking, oh, I love that person. No, it's happening subconsciously, essentially. Mm-hmm. And it's in that fast track where he says that character is really developed and our souls are really transformed. Vision happens in the slow track. Vision is, well, I need to get this job done. And so here's how I'm going to do it. And when we try to transform ourselves through that side of things, that leads to burnout, just through striving, through working, through trying. Right? Mm-hmm. I hope that so makes sense. he's essentially saying, um, if you start, so those, the slower track, the one that actually changes you is one where you start with attachment. So you mean the fast track, the fast track, yeah. sorry. The fast track is when you start with attachment 
to God and people. So like that, that deep attachment that happens that you can't really necessarily see the moment it starts, but it, it's there. And then from that, you grow into that state of mutual mind where because you are attached to one another, you, you are not the same people, but you start to experience life back and forth together and you, that changes yeah. you. You're not thinking thoughts about mm-hmm. something, you're thinking thoughts with mm-hmm. them. You know, very similar to why werewolves are so excellent at hunting vampires because they have this deep sense of mutual mind. With, with each other or with yeah. vampires? Mm-hmm. They think the same thing. Oh. Um, so you move from attachment um, to that state of having mutual mind. Not that you all think the same thing, but that you are experiencing things together with other mm-hmm. people. Um, and then that grows. And then you grow into having a group identity. So you belong. Yeah. Basically, like you go from being attached to starting to experience life back and forth with God or with people. And then that forms a sense of family, essentially. Mm-hmm. And then out of that vision can happen but if you go for vision first you may or may not get the other three so vision cannot forge attachment Mm -hmm. mutual mind and group identity but those things can forge vision he would say perhaps so it's not that vision shouldn't be important it's just it's got to be in its right place okay cool i'm still thinking about the vampire reference was that a twilight thing yeah it is okay (laughs) oh man so that I think is a, actually a pretty decent summary of what the book has taught us, what we just said there. Um, it's a short chapter and I think we just kind of covered it pretty well. <laughs> I think that he points out some really good things though, because you can fall into two traps when you're chasing a vision. And um, when, when you're, when you find yourself striving in ministry for example or striving in your relationship with god there's two errors that he points out the first error is in trying to correct an iniquity like a a problem that you see in the world or in yourself with the indirection of spiritual disciplines so um the things that we do to try to become better if you try to do them to fix something that's wrong with you but you don't start with that attachment first. Mm-hmm. You're just moving into legalism, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? Um, and then, uh, so there's people who notice that there's something wrong with themselves or with the world and they want it to get fixed. So they try to, 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 to fix it, um, but they go from the wrong direction. And then the second thing you can do is, he says, in the opposite direction. So you can try to be bigger than we really are and do more than we can do. And we strive to do God's work and serve our vision. The second error comes from an inflated sense of ourselves. So you can either mm-hmm. think, um, you can either think that there's something wrong. We got to fix it with what we do in the world mm-hmm. to do it. And you're going to burn out. And then you can also have the other direction where you think, clearly we know exactly what page God is on and we are on it too. And we're going to go do that. And that also leads to burnout because sure. <laughs> neither one starts with that has said attachment mm-hmm. with God. Mm. Yeah. Has said that's uh, the Hebrew word for like loving kindness, covenantal love is this deep enduring kind of love that never goes away mm-hmm. and isn't based on anything you've done or can do. It's simply based on the fact that God has chosen you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that word comes up a lot in the book and that's what our relationship with God needs to be based on. So if we were to 
say, you know, here's what, here's the so what <laughs> of this whole book. Here's a couple things that I would mention. Number one, the importance of a, a loving community. Um, you know, like he talks a lot about how um, our group identity is what determines the kind of person we are. Like we get to this place where we understand I don't do that because we don't do that, you know, and that's just how people function. And so as, as the community becomes more um, built on said, uh, you become more attached to the people in your community, you'll start to transform into the likeness of God, the God that that community worships. And also I would say spend more time um, focusing on practices that help you attach to God. And that has to involve understand, like just sitting in God's love for you. You know, as you read a Psalm, just let it be, um, you know, just let it, just imagine that God is saying that to you and stuff like that. Sitting in front of God's face, his smile. Those are the sorts of things that Jim Wilder says can help us transform into people who strive, from people who strive to people who are able to have an attachment, a mutual mind with God. We're not just thinking about God, but actually thinking God's thoughts with God. Uh, which is which is pretty wild to think about, but also pretty central, I think, to what it means mm-hmm. to be a follower of Jesus. Um, I think the the practical things that you can do to move toward this yourself and to help your community move toward this are all things that sound a little silly or wishy washy, or you know, uh, impractical. Like smile at each other, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Like see people. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's all stuff that you can't really programmatize. You can't right. make a program out of this. Um, and I think we've done enough in the church to prove that that is true. <laughs> you can't, you can have all the best intentions and communicate all the best things, but people don't become the best people by being around that. They become it when they're with people. Um, you know, who mutually love and, uh, you know, commit to doing life together. Um, but I, there was a time when I was, um, uh, in a seminary class once, um, I was there for like a two week intensive. And one of the things we did, uh, this happens a lot in seminaries, you'll be given the opportunity before class starts to choose a book to read. And then bring a summary of it to the mm-hmm. class so that by the end of a class period with all these summaries, you've now Cliff's Notes read 25 books mm-hmm. <laughs> or something like that. And um, I remember in a class once there was a, a pastor I know who uh, he chose to read the Henry Nouwen book In the Name of Jesus, mm-hmm. which is a book I read once a year. It's a short, short book. He read it because he'd never read any now and it was short. That was his reason for reading it. And his book summary was um, a bit thin, maybe. He didn't have much to say about it. But he said in his summary to the class several times, he just said, I mean, there really wasn't much there, you know, that's like practical or useful. You know, Mm -hmm. it was just some like thoughts for devotions and things like that, but not a particularly practical book. Mm. When really... (laughs) The book like turns things on its head. Yeah. yeah, but the entire book is is centered on this idea that nothing that you do matters outside of the loving embrace of the relationship of belonging that you have with God. Um, you know that you can what you do, what you create, what you perform, what yeah. you whatever, none of that matters at all. What matters is this relationship and anything else 
you know, is secondary to that. And so, I mean, really, this book is a really good explanation of um, that backwards way of living, you know, that, I mean, every Henry Nouwen book basically arrives at this same point, mm-hmm. that nothing you do matters. The The thing that defines you is this relationship. Um, and so it was just funny to me that he kept saying, this is just like not a very practical book. I mean, it was just kind of like something you'd read like for your devotional time or something, but there's mm-hmm. nothing in here for leaders. Mm. And I thought, actually, well, <laughs> it might be the thing that saves you. Yeah. I mean, from one <laughs> through one particular grid of what constitutes leadership, that book is utterly irrelevant. Mm-hmm. It tells you nothing about mm-hmm. how to lead people toward a vision. Yeah. I mean, but it towards, does. at least as defined... <laughs> In common parlance. <laughs> cool. It was a great book. I hope you take a chance to read it. And I hope you fill out the the listener survey for your chance to win a free copy. Mm-hmm. We'll be giving out three. So you've got, you got good odds. It's true. Thanks for listening, everybody. Be sure to tune in next time.